Christ in his boundless love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed Unto him against that day, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I have believed him, swayed him that he is able. To keep that which I committed unto him against that day on that last I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. <coughs> oh, whom I have believed in. That he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And 372, once for all, 372. From the law, oh happy condition, Jesus has bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace has redeemed us once for all. Once for all, oh sinner receive it, once for all, oh brother believe it. Going to the cross, a burden will fall. Christ has redeemed us once for all. Now we are free, there's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, all oh, hear his sweet call. Come and he saves us once for all. Once for all, oh, sinner, receive it. Once for all, oh, brother, believe it. Cling to the cross of Christ has redeemed us once for all. Children of God, oh, glorious calling, surely his grace will keep us from falling, passing from death to life at his call. 
blessed salvation once for all. Once for all, all sinners receive it. Once for all, all brother believe it. Cling to the cross of it and will fall. Redeemed us once for all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we have assembled together to investigate your word tonight, we ask that you would be with us during this time, that you would strengthen us, that you would use us, that you would bless us, that we may learn more of you. Lord, I pray that as we wade through the deep waters of this book called the book of Hebrews, that I would be able to make things clear and concise and Lord, to put a handle on it, to put an application on how we should live each day. We pray that you would give us insight and understanding to the great truths in your word. We ask for your blessings that we may serve and glorify thee in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And um, just want to uh, remind anyone that did not hear... Um, going to try to have a fellowship Sunday night after the evening service, so just uh, bring some kind of dessert. We'll put the coffee pot on and get some soda or something, and so all you got to do is bring a box of whatever you like or make something, and, uh, and uh, we've we'll, uh, been working on trying to put all the pictures together. People said they want to see the pictures, and uh, there's only about 12 or 1,400 of them plus video clips. Uh, you're not going to see them all, I promise you, okay? And uh, we'll try to, I think I got it narrowed down to about 60 or 65 pictures, get it done in about 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And uh, if somebody wants all the gory details, uh, you have to see Sarah or something and plan for a day and a half to look at them all. But uh, We'll be doing that Sunday night. Um, let's keep in prayer the meetings that are coming up. And uh, I'm hoping this is one of the last times, but please pray Saturday uh, our ceiling guys are coming back again. And uh, we're going to be trying to um, finish part of the ceiling in the basement. Uh, over the platform, we put up the electric screen down there. Brother Shaw and I started that on Wednesday. Hopefully finish that up tomorrow. And uh, we're going to try to put a new ceiling in this little hallway between the chapel and the uh, nursery there. Get rid of that beautiful, great big brown spot that's been slowly growing for years. And uh, a few other things. Clean that up. And so just pray that uh, we can get a lot accomplished. And uh, I don't know. I am getting tired of spending Saturdays working around the building. Um, wondering if this battery, I guess it's okay. So um, just keep uh, that in prayer if you would. We will be having regular visitation and prayer meeting and of course all of our services on Sunday. Uh, I'll tell you, find somebody that hasn't been here in a couple of weeks, give them a call and try to drag them with you Sunday morning. Amen? And uh, we'll just uh, pray about that. And, uh, and uh, let's sing one more song. Uh, 297. This is one we haven't sung in a while. 297. 
Open my eyes that I may see. 297. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands a wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my God I will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Open my eyes that I may read more of thy love in word and deed. What shall I fear while yet thou dost lead? Only for light from thee I plead. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my God thy will to see. Open my mind, illumine me, Spirit divine. Open my way that I may bring trophies of Christ to Christ my King. Echoed in love, thy word shall outring, sweet as the note that angels sing. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my God, thy will to see. Open my way, illumine me, Spirit divine. Amen. Seated. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn again to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Uh, I have a feeling we may be several weeks uh, in uh, chapter 5. This is our second week, and uh, actually we are in lesson 17. If you need an outline, uh, raise your hand if you would like one. Uh, Peter, you, since you have them, how about you pass a few out there if you would. And uh, let's just start in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant, on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. 
And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to stop right there because we're probably not even going to get as far as we read tonight. But this is... Uh, Chapter 5 in the book of Hebrews is one of those passages. I mean, this, uh, this is deep waters, my friend. We are looking at uh, some of the most profound and, and uh, searching scriptures in the Bible. And the book of Hebrews, of all of the books in the Bible, seems to be uh, most supplied with these kind of passages. And as we started last week, we want this in the context. The context of chapter 5 is the end of verse 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what God wants you and I to do. But he wants us to understand to whom we are coming. He wants us to understand a little more about this thing called the high priest. We have a tendency today, especially in our American understanding of things, to just uh, treat uh, our Savior as we would any other human being. Hey, Jesus, how are you doing? It's cool. Give me five. You know, that kind of attitude is... Uh, though we do not culture that attitude here at this church, a, uh, it is often deemed a healthy disrespect for authority is just prevalent in the thinking and in our society today. Now, there's nothing healthy about disrespecting authority. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we have many of the issues and the problems we do. If you will just take this simple sentence for what it is, 90% of the problems you will face in this life will be wrapped around this thing called authority. Amen? I mean, most of the time when there is conflict, think about at work. How many times at the place where you are employed is there conflict between people because either someone is not doing what they are supposed to be doing or someone is trying to take authority that does not belong to them. Um, if you follow the political scene, just a really nice one, we have our senior senator from New York who has taken it upon himself to grade the efforts of our country's uh, home security uh, department. My only question is, who died and left Chucky e. Schumer in charge? Who appointed him in charge of Homeland Security? Now, if there's anybody that's not on the Homeland Security Council, I'm glad it's him. Amen? Uh, because all we get is a press conference telling us how many people were killed, how many people were injured because somebody didn't do the job, and it would never be his fault. Sorry, folks. Get tired of it, don't you? 
This thing called authority is central to everything that happens in our lives. The authority that we are dealing with is God's high priest. And yet, you turn on the television, and every looney tune, cuckoo, nutcase, got uh, escaped from the asylum kind of person is on television trying to tell you what God said. How many of you, I was reading something the other day that, uh, oh yes, it was a letter from a preacher, an evangelist that um, I've known over the years, and he brought up in his letter about the Hale-Bob Comet. Does anybody remember the Hale-Bob Comet and the people who got all their possessions together and suffocated themselves so that they can join the spaceship inside the Hale-Bob Comet. And uh, he asked in the letter, I'm just quoting Dr. Gipp here, uh, he said, no one ever asked the question after you uh, put the bag over your head how you were going to carry your possessions to the mothership. He said, but... The problem is, when you're involved in this kind of stuff, you do not think. You just blindly obey. Now, I am so glad when it comes to the Bible, there is not one passage in the Bible that says you've got to put a plastic bag over your head and suffocate yourself so you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, it says God wants us to be a living sacrifice. Yes, we've got to get ourselves out of the way but there are things that God wants us to do, amen? And the Bible is telling us the kind of high priest we have to deal with here. It all wrapped around that word authority. Who are you going to believe? Is the temperature increasing? Are we all going to die from global warming in the next... 100,000 years. I mean, come on. I've read the book. There's going to be global warming in, uh, of, uh, of various types in the Bible. The book of Revelation talks about men being scorched with the heat of the sun, but it's not going to be because of greenhouse gases. It's going to be because of the judgment of God. Uh, the Bible talks about things getting very, very hot for those who disregard God's Word, but that's not global warming. It's called the lake of fire. Um, We've got to stop playing games and get down to what's going on. Amen? It says here, we, we got through the basically the first four verses last week, and we went through the basic perimeters of what a high priest does. A high priest offers sacrifices to God. He offers gifts to God. Gifts to honor God, sacrifices for the payment of sins. Most high priests, all except for one, have the same problem as the people they serve do. It's called sin. Aaron and every high priest after him had to offer sacrifices for their sins as well as the sins of the people of Israel. That's 
what I've always wondered about these different churches and religions that claim to be able to give you the forgiveness of sins, where do they go with their sins? Well, he goes to the guy in charge of him. Oh, but where does he go? Well, he goes to the guy on top of him. Well, where does he go? And finally, you get to a point where there is a man who is offering you forgiveness of sins. You know what Muhammad wrote in the Quran, or in the tradition that surrounds the Quran, actually? He wrote that on Judgment Day, you can go up to Moses and say, Now, Moses, can you help me get forgiveness of my sins? And Moses is going to say, Yes, I can, but it will take me 10 million years. And you can go to Jesus and say, Now, Jesus, can you help me get forgiveness for my sins? And Jesus will say, Yes, I can, but it will only take me... A hundred thousand years. But if you'll go to Muhammad, Muhammad will say, I'll show you the way. Now, if you think that's nuts, Joseph Smith came up with this thing that you will sit in a a tribunal before three gods. God the Father, God the Son, and Joseph Smith. Now, that's, that's really cool if you're Joseph Smith, isn't it? But where in the world do these people get the authority to raise themselves to this great position where they are going to sit as sovereign over the entire living world? Sung Young Moon? Well, only after Jesus begged me for the third time did I say I would come and fix all the problems he failed at doing, quote, unquote. I think he did better when he was on his medicine than after he was off, amen? There, there's got to be something wrong with the mind of a person. Never once in Scripture do we see Jesus running around exalting himself? Look what it says. Verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself. You want to know the difference between truth and error? Right here it is. Christ did not run around going to the Pharisees and saying, I'm going to be in charge of this temple someday. You better watch out. What kind of foolishness is that? Would he who created everything that now is out of his spoken word lower himself to childish prattle with idiots that did not even know what the word of God said? No, absolutely not. We need to understand you, you turn on the television and you're going to find people talking about themselves. That's not from God. How many of you remember old Jimmy Swagger? He said, after he had been caught in all of his debacle, He said, now I understand what the Baptists mean on eternal security. You see, he didn't lose his salvation. 
And when his denominational board, uh, he's not a Baptist, so it wasn't taken care of by his church as, as it should have been. It went to denominational headquarters, and the men all got in a huddle there at the General Assembly in Springfield, Missouri, and they said, we need, we're going to demand that if you're going to be a preacher in our denomination, you're going to have to take a six-month uh, hiatus from your pulpit so that you can get right with God, and then we'll let you right back into the pulpit. Uh, six weeks, he said, my ministry is going to die without me. So also Christ glorified not himself. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. If you want to see the difference between truth and error, it is going to be right here in this verse. If they're talking about themselves and how great they are, how much God has blessed them or used them or uh, how important they are, you better watch out because there's problems afoot. <coughs> the example here is Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll, we might get to Philippians chapter 2 tonight, but let's turn to Psalm 2. And this is the verse that is quoted in verse 6, excuse me, verse 5. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Look here in Psalm 2, chapter chapter 2 and verse 7 it says I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me thou art my son this day have I begotten thee here's again the issue of authority ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession thou shalt break them with a rod of iron thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel Application, be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. We look at this song. And as we've addressed this psalm several times, it is, it is repeated, uh, it has been quoted at least twice in the first five chapters here in the book of Hebrews. You look up any commentary on the psalms, and most of the time, if the guy is of any biblical understanding at all, he'll tell you Psalms chapter 2 is one of the most difficult psalms to understand. Well, if you open up God's commentary in Hebrews... What's so difficult to understand? Amen? God has made the decree that his son is going to be in charge of everything. Jesus did not exalt himself. He did not glorify himself to take this position. It was ordained by God the Father that he is going to rule and reign. If you've studied history, 
There's most of our major wars have been fought because of religion. How many of you heard of the Hundred Year War? How about World War One? World War Two? Most of the wars, the Crusades, you talk about an evil time. Don't waste your time to study the history of the Crusades. It, it is debauched beyond your imagination. Oh, we love to think of all those knights in shining armor riding on their horses in the rules of chivalry and... It's nice for fairy tales, but that's not the way it was. It's like the old Wild West movies in our American history. Uh, fantasy. You know what most of those people in the Wild West were trying to do? It's called live. Get enough food so that they could get through the winter and not starve to death before the spring fall fall came. You could have all the gold you wanted, but if you didn't have bread, your um, <coughs> dead carcass would be found over your bag of gold in the, in the springtime after the winter snows had fallen, and you'd be just as dead as uh, you are in many of the movies. But, I mean, it, it, it was... We have built a world of make-believe. We ignore the truth, and most of these wars, if, if you like theological terms, it is called eschatology. That is the study of the end times. You see, the, the Pope in, in uh, Rome decided that it, since he was the substitute of Jesus Christ here on earth, a title which he took to himself, I wonder where he got the authority for that one, my friend. Uh, probably the same place Joseph Smith got his, I would imagine. Uh, but he decided that it was his job to set up Christ's kingdom on earth, and in order to do that, he decided that it would be really good if he killed everybody who wasn't a Christian or made them become Christians. And uh, the only problem was he ran into a group of uh, Mohammedans, as they called them in those days, who were thinking exactly the same thing that it was their goal to set up their God's kingdom on earth, and they were going to go around and convert everybody. And, and uh, praise God, they basically fought each other to a standstill at the cost of hundreds of thousands of lives and uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in property, and some of the greatest artifacts of history were destroyed by these crusaders. And what did they accomplish? Nothing. You know why? Because they didn't have the authority. You read the book of Revelation. When Jesus comes to fulfill this passage, he's not going to need our help to do it. Amen? He's going to do it all by himself. Read Revelation chapter 19. Read Revelation chapter 14. God is making this command the whole world has been about since the days of Nimrod to build a tower which reaches unto heaven, to build an empire that God has nothing to do with. 
probably the closest anyone got to it may have been the height of the communist empire in the 60s and early 70s. They probably controlled more of the world's people than any other kingdom of any other time. But it wasn't long before communism collapsed under its own weight because it's not a political system. It's not an economic system. It was a false religion. It believes more in the goodness of man than the Bible does. That's why communism cannot work. Because under communism, you have, to, you have to be of such a great heart that you're willing to work and slave and give your life's blood so that you can take your profit and give it to everybody else. Now, how many of you are going to do that? Say, well, I want to enjoy at least a little of the fruits of my labor. You, capitalist, you. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says that we're to work as we serve the Lord and take the bounty that he has given us and share that with the world. Amen? It's one of the reasons why our church has a missions program. Uh, I don't know if it's absolutely the largest expenditure on our books, uh, but it certainly is one of the largest. And uh, none of that money benefits our church at all. Physically, we send it away. You know why? Because we like doing things God's way, not our way. Amen? We send it to missionaries. We send it to colleges. We send it to, uh, well, college, I should say. Uh, we send it to uh, uh, Bible printing ministries and distribution ministries like Brother Hansen in Springfield, Missouri, who who has literally, over the last several years, hundreds of thousands of Bibles all through South and Central America and Mexico. Praise the Lord for that. Listen, we get back to our, we come here to Psalm 2. The psalm opens up with, Why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing. In the middle of the psalm, it is declared that this day I have begotten thee. God has ordained Jesus Christ to be the king of this earth. And it ends with, blessed are they that put their trust in him. Amen. And if you're saved tonight, you know that's true. And we are looking forward to the day when Jesus actually comes and rules and reigns with this earth. Turn with me to Psalm 110. Another one of those short psalms that just kind of jumps out of the middle of nowhere. Let's just read the whole psalm here, Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. 
The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads of over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Now we have a connection here in this psalm. We have a connection between his kingly dominion over all the nations and over all the physical authorities of this earth. And right in the middle is this passage, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You wonder why that's in there, right? No, we know why it's in there. Because he is, Jesus Christ is, the high priest and the great king. He is both wrapped up into one person. He alone has the authority to rule this world and forgive our sins. How many sovereigns in their day have thought to lift themselves up to the level of deity? The pharaohs of old were supposed to be direct descendants of the sun god. The Caesars of Rome stood up and they said, we are gods come in the flesh. You should worship us because once we take upon our heads that wreathed crown of the Caesars, we are endued with the power of the gods. That was one of the reasons why Christians were put to death in uh, unbelievable numbers during the Roman Empire. Because not to worship the emperor was treason. Now, true Bible-believing Christians make the best citizens of any country they live in because they live the most honest lives. They help the common good. If they obey the words of this Bible, they go about as their master did, as Jesus did, doing good. How in the world can you hurt your country if you go about doing good? Amen? But we are not going to worship any man as God. Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? How about some modern people? How about Emperor Tojo? He was the God of his people. And allowed the generals of Japan to plan the sneak attack of Pearl Harbor and knowingly led his people almost to their annihilation. In fact, Douglas MacArthur at the end of the war made the emperor go on the radio and announce to the people, I am not God. I am just a man. In fact, that same General MacArthur told our people in this country, he said, the people of Japan understand one thing. They believe that our God has defeated their God. Send me a thousand missionaries because the people of Japan want to know your God. We sent him 50 missionaries, maybe 100. It took us 10 or 15 years to do that, but we sent 1,000 engineers. 
We send a thousand and ten thousand businessmen. And you wonder why Japan is the greatest, one of the greatest business entities in the world is because they said, ah, this is the secret of the American God. It's money. And that's why they worship it today. Only Jesus has the authority of God and man. He is the king. He is the priest. He is God. And we should worship him as God. And yet the context of this understanding of his greatness and of the extent of his power is in chapter 4 where we are to come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let me tell you something. Do not try this with the President of the United States. I've talked to people who have personally talked to him and they say he's really a nice guy when you get to meet him up close. But if you boldly strode through the gates of the White House and boldly walked down the aisle there, the hallway toward the Oval Office, I dare say you would boldly be arrested and put in chains and taken away until they found out what was wrong with you. Don't you think? Because we do not have the right to boldly enter uh, into the presence of the President of the United States. And yet, when we talk about God, we're not trying to compare President Bush with God, okay? There's no comparison. That's ridiculous. And yet Jesus Christ says, I want you to boldly become before my throne. I want you to strut right down the hallways of heaven. You say, how do you do that? It's one word. It's called prayer. Amen? But how many prayers do we waste? How many times do we go to God in prayer, unprepared, soiled with the filth and off-scouring of this word, world, our minds polluted with all of our wants and lustful desires of the flesh, and we wonder why we don't get the help that we need. If, if I can do anything over the next few weeks, it's, and, and this, is, this is deep cotton, as they say, these are deep waters to tread through this. Uh, you look at the last part of this chapter here, and and there is a warning It says when, when you ought to be grown up enough to eat meat, you can't do it because you're spiritual babies and we've got to go back and start all over again. That's the warning at the end of this chapter. There's a reason. It's because what goes on in this chapter is so easy just to gloss over and not grab the greatness of this thing. If we could just get in our hearts, ask God over the next few weeks, as we trudge through the rest of chapter 5 and 6 and 7, that God would impress your heart and mind, that he would give you a better and greater understanding of who Jesus Christ 
really is. That's what we need today. We would not dare treat the sovereign of any country the way we often treat the sovereign of our universe. We would not be so careless with the directions of a New York City police officer as we often are with the God who spake and everything that now is out of nothing became. Does that make sense to anybody at all? Okay. So we've got to go over this again, right? Okay. Does, are, are we understanding the words and the direction we're trying to go? Go like this. If you don't, go like this. If you have no idea what's going on, just cross your eyes and I'll get the message and we'll start over again, okay? But uh, these verses, Christ never exalted himself because he is God. He does not need to exalt himself. That's what heaven is all about, my friends. That's what our job for all eternity is going to be. And if you want to understand why the devil hates you so much, here's one of the reasons, is it, it is our job to glorify God. Guess whose job that used to be? The devil was the anointed cherub that covereth. He lost his job when he decided that he was going to be as good as God is. Read Isaiah chapter 14. He's not. There's no comparison. Comparing the devil with God even before he sinned is like comparing a speck of sand to the entire seashores of this world. There's just no, there's no comparison. And what we need to understand is that God has ordained Jesus Christ to be the great high priest of all mankind and to be the great king. His kingdom is going to last a thousand years. Where do you think Adolf Hitler got the idea that his Third Reich was going to last a thousand years? He got it from the Bible. Blasphemer. Barely lasted a thousand days. Let me tell you something. Napoleon, he thought he was going to rule the world. He spent the last few miserable years of his life bemoaning his own greatness and how nobody understood him. Fitting end for a man who takes too much authority to himself. Amen. God has a way of doing these things. And what we're trying to do, because we're going to start in verse 7, Lord willing, next week. We'll just get a little overview right now. It says, 
who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Does this sound like the great king of all the earth in verse 7? I tell you, it does not. But it is. And if we do not grasp what verse 7 is talking about in the context of who Jesus Christ really is, we are very tempted to adapt this worldly, effeminate, sissy, weak, soft-spoken view of Christ that the world has passed off during the centuries. I heard uh, Jesus Christ was not a tough guy. He's the king of the entire universe. Jesus Christ was not afraid of the cross. I've heard people preach, and, and, and I, I'm not sure that we ought to try to start this tonight, but I believe that this verse 7 is talking primarily about the Garden of Gethsemane. It talks about in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus Christ, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, there may have been other times when Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with strong cryings and tears, but nothing compares to the descriptions we are given in the gospel accounts of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I've heard preachers try to explain this, and, and I, I don't know that I'm capable of explaining it, but I certainly do not believe that... Um, uh, Jesus, as, uh, as God and man, which he is, he was both God and man, had to spend those three hours in Gethsemane to straighten out the man part of him so he could face the cross. I've heard preachers preach that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I've heard preachers say that, that um, he was... Uh, uh, just all kinds of crazy things about the, the Garden of Gethsemane, that, that he was afraid to take the cup, but that's not what he says in the Bible. Um, let's see here. I'm sorry, I'm getting, getting off my notes here. But... What it does say was that he offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Now, what did Jesus do when he got on the cross? He died, did he not? But did he die the victim of circumstance? Or did he die the victor over all circumstance? The latter was the case. I don't believe that Jesus could be derailed in his progress to the cross. I've heard preachers preach that, 
the devil was trying to kill him in the Garden of Gethsemane so that, so that he wouldn't get to the cross. And that's why it says, save him from death. And I just don't believe that. I don't believe that God's love for mankind was hanging by such a slender thread. Jesus is the king. He is the high priest. When we get to chapter 9, we are going to find out that the sacrifice that God wanted was Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, it says, But it pleased him. It pleased the Father to put the Son to shame. You say, why? Because he's the only one that can handle it, my friend. He is the only one who could pay the price for our sins. And as we read through this, we tend to minimize the sacrifice that Jesus did as if it were just another day, if it were just another simple act of God and it says right here that it was not just another day. That it was not just something simple. Jesus did not endure. Uh, the Bible says he endured the cross despising the shame. He went there for us. Salvation is free. But it's not cheap. Jesus paid the price for us. But according to these verses, it took effort greater than any human being was capable of producing. It took effort greater than any angel that's why we start out the book of Hebrews comparing Jesus Christ to the angels, comparing him to creation and exalting him as above all and beyond all and the origin of all. He is the creator of all things. He has the rightful place as the sovereign and king of this world. And he is the only one that can pay the price for our sins. That's what it means when it says, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. I have made thee the ruler of all the earth. That's what it means in verse 6 when it says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, don't go wild on this Melchizedek thing. There have been books written about the identity of Melchizedek. You know who Melchizedek was? Melchizedek, don't get excited. Don't go trying to figure out a bunch of stuff that the Bible is silent on. I've, had, I've heard sermons. I believe Melchizedek was actually Jesus Christ. Well, Melchizedek certainly is a picture of Jesus Christ. He certainly is a type of Jesus Christ. But I think we have to be careful about saying things that the Bible does not say. 
it says he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we, when we get to chapter 7, we're going to find 7 and 8, we're going to find out that this order of Melchizedek is a different priesthood, one above that which the law gives, a priesthood that God has ordained not just for the remission or atonement as was given in the Old Testament, but for eternal redemption, which is our true salvation. Amen? The actual paying of the price of our sins. And so, as we begin this chapter, uh, I hope I've not raised more questions than I have uh, uh, answers here, but if we could just grab a hold of this one thing. We need to get a better understanding of the greatness of our God. We need to respect our God more than we do anything else. It'll solve so many problems in this life. It will make so many of life's decisions for you if we could just give God his rightful place of honor and respect for who he is. It would solve all of our problems with the cares of this world, would it not? It would solve our outlook on the future. I wouldn't get so upset when I listen to what's going on politically in my country. Because I understand who the real king is, amen? Hear a lot of crazy things going on in the name of religion. Guess what? I'll follow my high priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, just ask that you would give patience that we can go through this time and go through these verses here. Lord, I pray that we would not get discouraged with raising more questions than answers sometimes. But Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to grasp a little bigger picture of you, a, a greater understanding of who you are than that which we currently possess. Lord, we want to lift you up, and we're so feeble and so sinful and so unable to do so. Lord, I pray as a church that we would understand a little more of your greatness and your goodness to us, of the immensity of your being, and yet for the simple fact that you still want us to come before you. Lord, let us not allow that familiarity that you want to have with us bring you down in the scope of your greatness and power. We ask you to work in hearts and lives in Jesus' name. And before we finish this prayer, just have Julia play a verse or two of a hymn of invitation. And as the music plays, if you need to come and pray, just ask you to step out of your seat and spend some time at an old-fashioned altar. We won't be long tonight, but if you need to come and pray, 